Greetings, errants, glitches, breakaways, thought criminals, and genuinely open-minded and outright curious inhabitants of whatever simulacrum we find ourselves navigating at the moment. You are about to set sail on another free first-hour episode of The Melt. If you find yourself wanting to dig deeper and have the desire to join the conversation during our monthly Melt meetups, you might want to consider becoming a monthly subscriber. For a measly five dead presidents per month, you can have access to full-length, early, and exclusive episodes. Just click the Patreon or Locals link in the episode notes below to create the timeline that will set it all in motion. It's suspiciously simple, altogether painless, and just might inspire feelings of bliss and or lingering euphoria. So, without further ado, let the conversations begin! This is Hunter Muse. And this is Chris Snipes. And you are listening to The Melt. Gender confusion topic is something that has come up several times on various Melt episodes only because we believe that it's something to examine, be critical of, and explore. There are many ways to try and apprehend the subject from either seeing it as a mental health issue, a social contagion, or the concept of inclusivity pushed past the point of credulity. Our society has given in to hysterically accepting any and all behavior that comes from any group of people that self-identifies as oppressed. This has the effect of hoodwinking us all into thinking that we shouldn't trust our senses, deny what we innately know as advanced mammals, and tries to trick us into playing an unwilling part in someone else's charade. That or else be seen as a heartless monster who is filled with hate and bigotry. Yet, as much as we've talked about this subject, we've never really spoken with someone who was once a part of this narcissistic cult and who had begun to transition themselves. Today's guest, Exulanzik, has a YouTube channel which is filled with videos of her insightful and often hilarious examinations of the online world of those who are transitioning or who have transitioned in public for all to see. Her knowledge of this subculture is impressive, and her portrayal of the more clinical aspects of transitioning often verge on the grotesque. Hunter starts off the conversation by asking Exelanzik about her story and how she began her journey of immersion into the world of gender questioning. 
So a little bit about me is that I have a bachelor's in um, uh, gender and women's studies and linguistics. Uh, and when I was in university uh, at, at uh, the University of California, Berkeley, uh, which is a very leftist university and uh, happens to be where, where Judith Butler teaches. Mm. Um, so, so the gender women's studies department there is very steeped in her mm. work, uh, even though she's not in that department. She's in a different department, um, which I always thought was a bit odd. Um, but she's in uh, comparative literature, I mm. think, and uh, rhetoric. And so when I was there, I was exposed to those ideas. Uh, and I and, and other people in my immediate circle uh, adopted a trans identity. Mm. Uh, but, you know, we we all sat around and, and remembered our, our past and, and uh, knit together a narrative of, of how we were always like this. And we always knew and there were signs. And, and now here we are. And um then I also met somebody there uh, shortly after that, who I then exposed to the ideas in turn, and then she adopted mm -hmm. them, and she ended up uh, going down the path of testosterone and mastectomy. Oh. Um, and uh, so seeing that was quite formative. Um, I, I guess I could say it was it was a bit horrifying, the immediate aftermath of that, and realizing like, oh. It's not just an idea that we're toying around with. Like this is this is your life now. You're you just cut a piece of yourself off. Now you have tubes coming out of your chest. Mm. But I guess I guess we're all gonna we're all gonna act like this is fine. This is a normal thing. You're so brave. She's so brave for doing that. <laughs> so brave. And was she, was she your only friend who went through the that surgery? No, but she's the one that I was I was closest to uh, in the process of it. But she's not the only person that that. Um, I had another friend through a, a, a club I was involved in, which was the um, the atheist club that they had, uh, and mm -hmm. and she also went down that path and and had the top surgery and, and took the the drugs and she went from being this like fresh face. I met her right when she came up. I think I think she emailed me shortly before she got to 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 Cal because she wanted she was looking forward to joining the atheist club and so she's I was a couple of years ahead of her and 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 yeah. She just the the, ch the profound change from like this fresh faced eighteen year old to like this pretty like she just kind of her whole vibe changed like the light the light went out she just was just in my opinion a bit miserable and, um, but and then there were other people around us in our orbit who were 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 doing the same thing and we were all thinking about it if not actually doing it I I spent a long time thinking like is this path for me is this going to be the magical solution to my emotional difficulties um, and my social anxiety. Um, and I had um, another partner who was a, um, a, a man who, who identified as a woman. Um, and he kind of encouraged me to, to think like, well, if I should pr be prioritizing it too, because look how much it helps the, this other person. We were, we were in a polycule, which is like a polyamorous like relationships. So and we were, we were all dating each other. And, um, yeah. So, so there was, there was just this idea that, that this would be the magical solution. But I, by that point in my life, I I'd had my wisdom teeth out and I had had an appendectomy. Uh, and, uh, I also had had a, a surgery for, um, uh, another condition called Eagle syndrome, which involved a tonsillectomy. And, and every, every single time what they told me would be the likely, um, recovery period had been off mm -hmm. by like a factor of 10. So it, it, it took me a ridiculously wow. long time to heal from the appendectomy. 
the the actual incisions didn't even like close until followed mm. two months after. And they told me I'd be back to normal activities in four days. And I was, I, I could barely move around for weeks. It was, it was pretty miserable. And so I, I don't know if it's something that's just different about me, but I was like, this is a, this is a lot of a surface area. <laughs> Those cuts were tiny. This is like the entire chest. It would be a huge, huge undertaking to, to try to do that. So, but I also was like thinking that she, she hadn't had her hers yet. And I was like, mm, she's going to have hers. So maybe I'll see how it goes for her. I'll just, I'll just mm. see the the other penguin can jump in off the ice flow and, and if the orc is there and, and she gets eaten, then I just won't, you know, it's a very, very selfish thing, but you know, I was, I was 22 at the time. Um, so I, I have to live with the fact that, that that's who I was and that was my reasoning, but that, that, that is what the reasoning was. Um, and it's, uh, so she did and I ended up, that was, that was kind of like the, the final nail in the coffin of like, am I going to, am I going to go undergo this massive undertaking to change my parents and I decided no and you know the way she told it at the time she was quite happy with the decision um the incisions themselves they didn't really approximate well so they kind of like mm -hmm. this was the incision line that kind of sagged open pretty quickly oh. uh and they never fully um filled in so they were always a little bit mm -hmm. like discolored like so, so it kind of looked like oh. two big smiles like underneath and with and and she had her her nipples removed and repositioned and so those that's oh, a little odd and yeah and so how many years ago was this about 15 so this was in about starting in around 2009 um and then continuing till i mean i got to graduate school i was still identifying that way but but i decided against surgery i decided against testosterone also because like my my brother had really horrific cystic acne. I've never seen it that bad on anyone else when he was he was an adolescent, and I had very mild cystic acne. And so I was like, it's probably because of the hormones. So if I if I start injecting myself with testosterone, that's probably going to be really bad, and I don't want to go through that. In both mm -hmm. cases, it was because I I, ha I was I had a grounded understanding that like my skin uh, had its own unique medical circumstance and these interventions might not go the way that I, that, that they think they're going to go. And, and I'm, I might really not like that outcome. Um, so, um, yeah. So th that was pretty early in the, in the push though, it yeah. seems like so that was, so that was pretty, that was, these were pioneers doing this. This was before, long before it became what it is today. Yeah. I, 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 uh, decided that I was a, a trans man or a trans masculine person. Um, mm -hmm shortly before Jazz Jennings actually got the puberty blocker implant because he was born in 2000. And so they put the implant in him in 2011. Uh, my girlfriend got the mastectomy in 2012. And that's the year I went to graduate school uh, and also discovered the concept of transmasculine uh, voice disorder. So the, the voice disorder mm -hmm. that, that some, some women that take testosterone get. Um, and then over the next couple of years, I just um, gradually kind of became more interested in my um, profession, uh, less preoccupied with my appearance. The, it was a totally different social scene, so there wasn't the same reinforcement socially for for this uh, uh, mindset. Um, mm -hmm. and, and most of them had never even come across the concept before, so that so they were kind of interested in hearing about it. But like once they mm -hmm. heard about it one time, they were kind of bored of it. And, and and it was interesting to see that like, okay, so you guys have zero interest 
in, in, in this hobby of mine, but you're so willing to interact with me and be friends and be supportive. So it was kind of like a paradigm shifting for me that like, I don't need to, to be doing this in order to have a social group that's positive. Um, yeah. Whereas before I kind of felt like, well, my social issues up till then were a result of not having come out. And now that I've come out, I, I everybody around me needs to either be in the group or, or be supporting it or else they're going to be mean to me. And it's just, you know, I had a, a specific idea, but that's, that's how cults work is that they, they kind of can target people who are um, looking for that sort of community and don't know how to find it directly and, and haven't for whatever reason found it directly. And so um it's, it's, it can be hard to, to leave. And I, I think that if I, if I hadn't left that environment in order to, to continue my schooling, I'm, I, I don't know what would have happened. Uh, my, my, my girlfriend is from what I can see ex-girlfriend now, um, she, uh, appears to still be very much in it. Uh, maybe mm. that's because she radically changed her appearance more. And maybe it's because she was in graduate school when this happened. So she didn't like have a reason to leave it later. And, mm -hmm. and then kind of quickly went, she, she, I think she got a job in a, in a trans centered organization and that she's, um, from last I heard is still at. So. Well, I, I would take issue with the term pioneer, Chris, because this has been going on for, well, I mean, people have been identifying in other sexes for thousands of years. Of so that's not really a new, I mean, a new um, phenomena. Pre-social contagion. I think the interesting thing is that in 1987, when I first went to college, I took a human sexuality class and we studied transsexuals and people who were going through uh, gender reassignment surgeries. And the process that you had to go through in 1987 is vastly different from the process that people are going through now. Back then, you had to go through a year of psychotherapy, at least. You had to live for one year in that um, other gender before you were given any puberty blockers, before you were given any um, hormonal therapy at all, before you e would even be considered to do anything surgical. Uh, so I think that there there were some gatekeepers that were in place back then that have completely disappeared. And now you can go to a local Planned Parenthood and after a 10 minute interview, uh, your child can, can be given puberty blockers. So what I'm curious about is what is your opinion about what, why there has been such a pendulous swing from this, this uh, version of transitioning that is very, um, medically and psychologically based and really based in some form of a therapeutic intervention as opposed to, you know, the 7-Eleven version where you can just dip in and get something and then get out. Mm. I think there's been a few factors. Uh, I know that when I was at, at Cal, uh, I came across a, a pamphlet that was, um, I believe it was through the, the gender center that was on campus that I, that I got it from. That was pushing the idea even back then that 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 perhaps someday we we, sh we should have it set up so that all children get puberty blockers and have their puberty suppressed until they're old enough to decide what gender they want, and that we should just be doing it by default, uh, e even in kids who don't believe in that because it's wrong to force someone to just go through the wrong puberty right, and it's it's it, it kids 
but they, they had an idea that like, well, kids might not necessarily know. And so we need to give them all more time, which is in conflict with the other thing that we're told, which is that gender identity forms by age three and is fixed across the lifespan. So you have, you have this kind of split and people believe one thing or the other. Um, if they try to believe both, it's because they haven't thought about it and tried to reconcile it yet. Um, mm. But I think that, that, um, it was Obamacare that 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 redefined these interventions as being um, akin to to like if if you don't give a phalloplasty to a, a a person that wants to transition, that's the legal equivalent of not treating somebody because they're black, even though it's it's obviously very very different. It's it's the idea that's that's the idea, and so and 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 by analogy, also the idea that medical insurance has to cover say maternity care and that not covering the care that women need is is discrimination against women so therefore not covering the, the care that trans people need is um discrimination against trans people but but you know it's it's um so now we're in a situation where, where that's paid for by um public and private health insurers and so there's therefore a a, a means and a market so that's that's i think why um, you, you've seen this larger push to normalize it and to to advertise it in schools even. Would you would you opine that the DSM five is playing an active role in this as well? Because now we have the insurance companies involved and they, you know, the only way to get something covered is if it's listed in the DSM five. Right. And so so now uh, and then the DSM five uh, came out in, in uh, twenty thirteen. So, so it's yes. all in that that period of years where this is this is a we're transforming the way that that um, this gender identity disorder stopped being seen as the pathology, and now now the pathology is that well your gender identity doesn't match society's expectations, and that's what's causing the problem. It's not that you have a problem; it's that that you just don't match society, which which is is kind of a, a, akin to su suggesting that that we should medically be treating skin color because skin color might cause societal complications and un unhappiness if, if, if we accept the premise that there's racism and that, that that causes problems, but they don't want to do it for other things. They, this, this is this own special thing where we have to go in and, and fix it somehow. Um, so. Well, and they do that in Asia where there, there are all these lightning creams and, you know, you, it, it used to be that if your skin was tanned, that meant that you were a field mm -hmm. worker. So people wanted to lighten their skin in Asia. So there, there is a medicalization of wanting to lighten the skin too, you know, anal bleaching. Yeah. Oh yeah. We do have that out here. We have tanning <laughs> beds. Uh, I have a, a, a joke, a satire of a, called a dander dysphoria with dander referring to skin and hair. And so if you don't like your hair or your skin, if, if you want to get a beard transplant, if you want to get your hairline reduced or get hair, hair follicle transplants or, you know, any number of things, you have dander dysphoria. And so those should be covered. So I, I say that I have different dander identities on different days. So I need dander prosthetics, otherwise known as wigs, to express my dander identities because I'm I'm born to flux. There you go. And if you don't want to want my insurance company to pay for my dander identities, then you know you're a transphobe. You're a wigget. It's wiggetry. 
That's genius. I love it. it. Is. I'm I, wondering. Um, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. When it will become more acceptable to have racial dysphoria? I know that's happened a couple of times where some English dude, I think, got an operation to make it look like he had uh, occipital lobes to make him look Korean. Oh, because yeah. He identified. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah, was that who that was? Korean. He's now okay. a detrans. Uh, he's gone back to white. But, but he had all these, these interventions to look like Jimin, which is like a specific Korean pop star. You know, I think he's valid. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't think your tax Koreans dollars owe you Asian-ness. <laughs> your, yeah. your tax dollars paid for that. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think he know. had to pay out of pocket because the uh, racial dysphoria is not, not covered yet. Um, yes, yeah. Which is oppression. Yeah. <laughs> and, and there's cultural uh, appropriation, but why isn't there not gender appropriation? Like, why are we talking about stuff like that? It's just, it's just so duplicitous, like yeah. duplicitous. That's the word I mean. Yeah, it's very, very uh, hypocritical. But not, Well, and no one is wanting to look like B. Arthur or Gene Stapleton. <laughs> like, it's, uh, it's this very hyper-sexualized, objectified version of the woman, which really makes... Being a which I found so fascinating that somehow feminists would sign off and co-sign on this and say, well, yeah, we want you to objectify women more and we want you to get these pendulous breasts and and, you know, and really make yourself look like a caricature of a woman. You know, if someone wanted to look like uh, Rue McClanahan or one of the Golden Girls, I could sign off on that. I'd, I'd be like, okay, this person really does want to look like a woman. Now all drag queens look like divine. They don't even try to look like women. They try to look like a drag queen in a John Waters movie. It's very odd, very strange. Yeah, and and uh, there's there's now now we're, as we get more into the the um, I call it the Church of the Non-Binaries or sometimes the Non-Binitarianism. Because there's binitarianism mm -hmm. as a sect of Christianity, so by analogy with that, um, and and that that's the group that thinks that you can you can have uh, your gender realization at any age, and and you can have gender identities that change, um, and you can you like it's it's less about female to male transition to the other sex, the other gender, um, as as you're transitioning from female to not female or male to not male and whatever not male and not female like look like to you is, 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 is fine. So if you're, if your version of not female has no nipples, go for it. Just, just remove those. They call them nip knops. Um, so, and, and have you heard that now there's an elf surgery where people are getting their ears, women are getting their ears cropped to look like elves? Uh, I think, I think I've seen those, but yeah, <laughs> I mean, why not? Yeah, why the fuck? So, so do you think any of these folks, and and I know that this is just an opinion, but do you think any of these people are happy? I mean, it's it's hard to say because in in my opinion, as as someone that that once felt like this fit with me, I was very unhappy in in those days, which is why doing things like wearing what amounted to a costume. You know, having a reason to dress up and 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 aim for a look and 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 feel like I'd achieved it. Um, why playing pretend with my friends? All those things had such a, a were able to make me feel better is because my default was that I didn't feel good. And they tell us that like, well, they people who are doing this feel so badly that if you if you misgender them or mispronoun them or 
uh, don't don't seem excited by their gender in some way that 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 they may that they're at risk of of ending their lives like that that's a realistic outcome and so i think that's why it especially is appealing to children and and teenagers because the angsty teenager is kind of a thing and they're already unhappy so i i feel like if you um get to a place of of genuine happiness you, you don't need to to do this anymore you might still look like that because of permanent interventions you've had you've undertaken um, but it, it stops having the, the, the necessity. So when you were in Berkeley and you were feeling depressed and unhappy, do you think that that, you just, do you feel like in, in retrospect, you just sort of got swept up in that, into that because it was convenient and you were in the middle of it and it just seemed like a good idea or did it, did something genuinely strike a chord with you as far as the gender dysphoria part? Uh, well, I think that, that, that personality-wise, um, I I often uh, like surprise people in various for various reasons, and that at the same time I also um, have uh, uh, social skills difficulties that that you know have gone much better over time, um, and but but especially in those days, my model of how other people saw me uh, in reality didn't really line up. Uh, and so this this was like a reason to spend a lot of time thinking about like why do people react the way they do and 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 if I if I change how I act this way how do people respond that way um, I I think that it was it was also had a sense that it was a, it was freeing whereas before I had this sense that that of burdensome social expectations that were tied to the fact that I was a woman and this was like a, a permission to um, just be myself as much as I could in, in terms of my, my actions, but also to, to explore performance and to, and to think of, you know, it's, 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 it's interesting because there, there's an interesting tension between just being yourself. And then also the fact that you're pretending to be something you're not. So it's, mm. it's, um, I, I do think both can kind of be true at the same time in terms of, of responding more based on your um, your actual emotional opinion of the situation and, and what's been presented to you and, and, and what this person is to you um, while also, you know, playing trying to play a role for the other person that might feel more comfortable to you. Um, and I think that it was also that it was popular and I wanted to fit in with my friends. Um, and... Um, that I didn't, I didn't really have a way to do that. That wasn't predicated on a shared uh, hobby or, or fandom. So before I was, I was in 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 that community um, as a as an adolescent and an older teenager. I was I was uh, very into um, cosplay, anime, going to mm -hmm. anime expos, dressing up for that reason. Um, and that that's and, and and so having a friend group where we were all very interested in like one show or a couple shows and. It's it's a way of getting around the fact that that everyone in the group has social skills deficits, and we only want to talk about things that are interesting to us and that we know about, and and we want to dominate the conversation, and we want to like be in a, a teacher student kind of position, um, and, and we don't we don't really know another way to to be. So it's a it's it's kind of a crutch. Yeah, I could totally see that, and it seems like a, a way to if somebody is having personal internal problems that they're having a hard time uh, dealing with in any sort of reasonable way because it it's, it could be I would imagine it could be very emotional um, it's sometimes easier to foist 
the responsibility for your problems onto other people. Mm -hmm. So if you're playing around with perceptions, social perceptions, and you are tweaking it in a way that makes people react in a way that maybe is something that, you know, is not the reaction that you're aiming for, or, you know, it confuses people, then it's easy to blame them for their reaction as opposed to, you know, something that might've come from internally, from you internally. I don't know if that makes any sense. Like it's, it's easy to, to attribute, like if you have a negative interaction, you attribute it to the fact that they don't like your gender. Sure. Or they don't like how you're presenting or how you, you know, whatever it is that you're, the whatever way you're defining yourself, they're not accepting you. And so that's their problem. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 like, it's it stops. Uh, it does, it does relieve you a little bit of, of a sense of responsibility for how the interaction went. Sure. If you can decide that it has something to do with that. And I think the, the pronoun thing is, is kind of about that. So if someone's not respecting your, you're respecting your pronouns by, by speaking differently because you told them to. Um, then, then you can make all these inferences about how they're a bad person. They don't care about you. And, and it kind of relieves you of, of relationship building um, and, and perhaps taking responsibility for your own um, difficulties. Um, because, you know, at the time I had this, this, uh, I, I didn't think of myself as somebody that, that, that had a, a kind of an intrinsic social skills difficulty. I, did, I didn't at all. Um, and, and part of that is because like when I was, I mean, I knew, I knew that I had a developmental issue. I got, I, I had a diagnosis under DSM-4 that was later folded into autism in the DSM-5 update, but this was before DSM-5 came out. And then I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't get my like, uh, autism owl until like last year, basically 2022 mm -hmm. was, it was after my trigonometry interview. Some people emailed me and they're like, well, you realize, you realize that your explanation is wrong. Is is one of my videos, but like I had a very specific explanation that I had been given when I was twelve for why I wasn't autistic that that mm -hmm. I didn't know was out of date. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, but also that was more focused on the sensory issues, um, and and I think I was just I hadn't had enough therapy either to like grow past some of the causes of of or contributing factors to this theory of mind mm -hmm. issues. Um, so I couldn't see them yet, and mm -hmm. I didn't I couldn't acknowledge what I couldn't see. Really, right. it's hard to acknowledge what you can't see. Well, the, the phenomena that I have, uh, I've named this is the makes me feel culture. And I think that social media has really been the vehicle to bolster this, which mm. is you're making me feel uncomfortable. So right. we, your feelings are really contingent on other people's behavior and other people's response to you as opposed to taking ownership for the right. way that you feel. Uh, and I think that the language behind that is so disempowering that that has become a generational thing that's now happened where you hear people saying, well, you're not using my pronouns and that's making me feel dot, dot, dot. Right. Do you think that language has now been hijacked by this? Yeah, definitely. And and as, when when you you give yourself kind of permission to to hyper focus on how how you feel, it, it's it does sort of relieve you of of a sense of responsibility of, of for self regulating. Mm -hmm. so, so you you get so focused on how everything else is making you feel that that you you might forget that like okay, well maybe 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 my initial reaction maybe was an overreaction. Maybe I can self soothe and self regulate. 
And maybe even if somebody makes me feel unsafe, it doesn't mean that they are unsafe. And, but, but there's like a merger of those two things. So, so which, which means that if you, if you take for granted that someone who makes you feel unsafe is unsafe, that's going to make you feel more unsafe when you realize you feel unsafe. And so, so if you, if you don't have insight into the fact that maybe you have an anxiety disorder, um, it's, it's, it's very easy to build a whole, whole, uh, um, like castle fortress of solitude there of, of avoiding anything that might slightly trigger it. Um, and deciding that no, it's everybody else that's bad. There's, there's a meme that's like, it is, if my mind and my body are in conflict, is, is, it, is my mind ill? Like, no. No, it's my body that's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think one of the most empowering things that I recognized just in my own process was feelings are not facts. Mm. So just because you feel something, they may be real to you, but that doesn't mean that the whole world is perceiving the world the way that you are. So right. I think that's the disconnect that we're seeing now is that there's just this whole um, this whole mythos that is that has been developed and grown around this idea that if I feel something because it's real for me, that means that the world has to bolster and reinforce that. Yeah. So if if you if you have difficulty with theory of mind, I think that a lot of, of people that they get told that or or who who take on the label of autism, they they don't really want to grapple with the implications of it. Uh, if you have a theory of mind deficit, that includes your own mind. It means mm -hmm. you are you have an impairment in even seeing your own mind, and therefore in your own um, biases and tendencies, and and so your model of like why you're doing what you're doing is more likely to be wrong. Mm. You need to be talking about this with somebody that doesn't have that impairment, who's verified through a, a process of education and licensure to to either not have that impairment or to have overcome it through the, that process, to, to have been vetted in some way mm. and to be able to help you work on this. So so if, if, if I hadn't be overcome mine, for instance, they, I don't think they would have let me into the field. And they made that very clear. <laughs> <They're> like, you're, <laughs> you're thinking about this is wrong. <laughs> oh, but I, I, I'm so grateful for my school. They really, uh, my, my graduate school, they, they did a great job helping me see myself. So how did you veer into a different direction? What, like, what, what happened that woke you up? Was it your girlfriend's surgery? Was it your own? What, did you have some kind of an epiphany where you were like, I'm in a fucking cult? Like, how did you, how did you snap <laughs> out of it? It was it was seeing seeing the harm that was being done. Um, have after seeing it for a period of years, it was uh, there. Another instance, there was um, one of the people in my social group was uh, making social media posts, uh, criticizing specific research study authors because the, the, these authors were were trying to recruit um, men who they they said were trying to recruit cis men and trans women specifically for um, a trial for uh, PrEP, the HIV prevention drug. Mm -hmm. they, wanted, they wanted men who were in relationships with men, uh, male humans, um, who, to see how, how readily this drug um, prevented HIV transmission at whatever dose they were getting. And she wanted, she wanted to be in the study because she's, she's a man. She's on testosterone, she's a man. And they, they were like, no. <laughs> she's like, I'm a more of a man than a trans woman. 
What? <laughs> and I was like, what? Wow. What does that mean? I'm not even sure what that means. So she was like, they're these transphobes. They're, they're, and just, 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 you know, try to cancel these, these researchers just because they, they understand that, that, you know, men aren't women. And, and so I always thought that, like, okay, only women can be trans men. Like, you're not actually escaping your sex category. I never thought I was, like, actually outside of my sex category. I think that mm -hmm. makes me a bit different than, than that. And that was kind of a realization that some of them actually thought they, that we were literally becoming men by looking like them. Yeah. yeah. And, and I was like, no. And so it just kind of was a, a moment of realizing that, that, that a lot of these people were very, very detached from reality. Um, and, and that was, that was a problem because you, and, and then also, uh, one of them also started identifying as not just a, as a trans man, but as, as a gay man specifically. And, and, and this was someone I knew to be a lesbian and she was actively in a relationship with another female at the time. And they were, they were identifying as gay men and, and not, not having any qualifier to that. And I just thought I, I was just offended by that because I was just like, you're, you're, you're not though, but you're not. <laughs> so it's uh, just uh, that was kind of like realizing from trying to talk about it a little bit and the pushback I got like okay my options are either to you know let go of my sense of reality which I didn't I wasn't willing to do mm -hmm. um, I, I've always been a very materialist kind of person and very very um you know pragmatic yeah pragmatic um <laughs> or you know, I can try to change them and I'm not going to be able to change them, obviously, because they're checked out. They're they're acting religious. I don't want to be in a religion. I didn't realize mm. I'd accidentally joined a religion. <laughs> like, so I think I'm just going to think I'm just going to pull back and, and you know, just gradually, you know, I, I'm, I was in graduate school by that point. I was like, maybe I need to be investing in relationships with people who are outside of this this faith community. Mm -hmm. And um, otherwise, I, I knew I was going to completely lose those relationships. And well, you know, I did completely lose them in, in the end. Um, they turned but, on you. Um, they, 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 they kind of like it was a mix of like turning on me and then and then just kind of like. So like I, when I was in graduate school, I wanted to to not cut my hair till after I graduated, because that's something that, that my stepdad had done when he was in graduate school. And so I just kind of mm -hmm. wanted to do that like him. Um, and then also I, I just kind of wanted to stop uh, dressing, spending so much time trying to dress in such a way that I look like a man. I felt like that was taking up too much of my attention and also was was uh, um, possibly, you know, I, I, I just didn't want to bring that into into a clinical program. I just mm -hmm. wanted to just be predictable because um, I, I, it wasn't about me in that room. Mm. Um, and and so I. I um, but I, I, I would start like I'd go to school and I'd come back and I would see them. And I just realized that, that I would say things that were not that different from what I had said before. And, and I would get reeducated in a way that I hadn't before. And I was like, why are you talking to me like I'm new to this or that I, I don't I don't know the, the philosophy? Like I thought that like I'm the one that brought you into this. Um, and then it just occurred to me like, oh, it's because it's because I don't look trans. I, I, I don't I'm not wearing the the. It's, it, it would be like showing up at mosque without a hijab on. Mm -hmm. yeah. It would wonder. Like, it, it, it doesn't matter what you you and they have done before. You have to actually look like like you belong. And I didn't look like I belonged anymore. And that kind of made me feel like, oh, we don't. It's not that we all have some special insight in, into how how people really are. It's just it's just another social subculture. Mm -hmm. It's based on how you look. And, and I didn't want to 
assign that a higher level of importance than than it should be given. Whereas before I, I saw it as like, you know, we're basically like we, we, we we're, we're part of the elect. It's, it's the sort of Calvinist idea. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so so these people, th- these other relationships are actually more important than relationships with people who are outside of this, this, this special group. And so it was it was just a paradigm shift of like, oh, I'm just this is just a club. It's a club. We have a costume. We have a uniform that we wear. And if you don't wear it, then they see you differently. Now, did you did you pass as a man oh, when never. you were dressing? No, <laughs> <laughs> because you have such a beautiful like Grecian face. I I can't imagine anyone looking at you and saying, "Hey, feller." <laughs> hey, uh, I, got, I think I I I passed twice. And one one time I was on a moving bike, and then they self corrected <laughs> like quickly. And then the second time it was from behind in a bathroom. And, and the woman was like, are you supposed to be in here? And I was like, I turned around. She's like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> so no, no, I really, I really, and, and it's like, you get to see, like, I'm really curvy too. Like it doesn't, it doesn't work. <laughs> were you doing the binding of the chest and that whole thing? Like, were you was, like, how yeah. far were you taking it? I had a, I had a binder. I still have the binder. Uh, it's, it's kind of just like a souvenir at this point. Um, I, I posted a picture of it to Twitter, I think, last week because uh, I came across a picture where, it, where you, you can see that it, 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 <laughs> you, ha- you have your image in your head of you're going to put the binder on. It's going to be flat. And then, then the reality of like, no, it just it just looks like a very poorly fitting bra. And, like, and for some reason, I also thought, well, if I just I'll just put them up here and then it'll hold. It up. So like I would have like yeah. like pecs that would come out like, <laughs> no. like, a, like an extreme tube top. Yeah, and then I had I would have need to wear really baggy shorts, really low on my hips, for it to not look just like normal. And and then the binder, and then and then very loose shirts with like a shirt over it. And then I'm also like five five on a on a good day, <laughs> like with lifts in my shoes and thick socks. <laughs> so it's I just I just don't I don't look like a male. <laughs> I look very clearly like a female. But you know when you when you when you have a also like a sensory development delay. Um, it can be hard for you to, to have a realistic idea of how you look to other people and also to understand that like other people can see your, can, can reconcile your absolute size as well as, you know, you, you have, you have this idea in your head of how you look and then mm-hmm. you, don't, you don't necessarily think about the fact that like, well, you, you, you're the size of a female that yep. doesn't change. It's like, well, some men are short. It's like, yeah, but they don't have tiny little <laughs> shoulders. <laughs> Like I'm basically like I could give a, a mouse a run for its money getting under doors. Like it's just <laughs> so. What uh, coming to these realizations was a process in and of itself. But what was the thing that pushed you to want to go public with your opinions? Which is a little more, you know, it takes a little more guts to not just only resist that in the first place and risk losing all these friendships, but to be outspoken about it and say, I'm going to speak up and say exactly what I want, exactly what I feel about this. Well, um, what, what pushed me to start doing that was it was kind of not planned. Um, I was only on Facebook from 2005 to 2020. Mm-hmm. And then near the end of 2020, I downloaded TikTok or I, I call it the cursed clock app. I messed that up a little bit. Cursed clock app. And, 
I started just kind of making videos. It was the first time I was like, oh, wow, it's not just like a written status update. People are posting videos where they like you can like I was just amazed at how you can how much more you get out of watching a video of something, somebody expressing their opinion than reading the same thing. I felt much closer to the people in the videos, you know, parasocial mm -hmm. stuff. I was very, very new to that, that whole situation. Um, made a couple friends just, just making silly videos. I, I was making videos. Um, I think I was talking about just kind of the, the broad, a, fr a friend of mine had just passed away from, from cancer. Uh, and so the people around me, I realized also like they, they didn't have their, the same model of, of, of the system of the human body that I did. And, and that had been very relevant very recently. Um, and so I wanted to just kind of share that knowledge. I felt like that that's something I could do is make, make little videos talking about like, you know, what are the kidneys? Like, what, what, what do they, what do they do? How, 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 how why is it that, that, that a disease like COVID that will, will just like, make your lungs not work why is that putting people in kidney failure because i think that's not obvious to a lot of people and so it was these videos like that um and so um um and 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 then i i just kind of started making videos also about linguistics um and some I, I made a, a reference to categories and spectrums being important to understand for understanding how words work and how language works. And someone asked me to, for an example of, of the distinction there. And so the example I chose was that, well, like women and men have different heart attack symptoms and, and the difference is, is not due to any one factor, it's due to many different factors. Um, and, and so therefore women and men need to be seen as categorically distinct uh, for, for that medical knowledge to, to survive and, and to make sense. Um, whereas, uh, what I saw from, from what was happening with, with LGBT, where it was becoming, I think, uh, I forget who I heard it from first, but the Wi-Fi password community, the, the 2S uh, LGBTQIA++, <laughs> <laughs> um, that that was an attempt to represent the entire community in the word that represented the community yes. by, mm -hmm. by, by continuously subdividing and solving Zeno's paradox by like, well, what if we only went halfway <laughs> this time? We, you know, and, and that that just wouldn't work. And so that the solution was to integrate and not keep subdividing infinitely. Uh, mm. That's just not how words work. So, so mm -hmm. you need to understand that there's, there's a spectrum that's contained within this word of different, different things. Um, but, but you can have them all be in the same category, even though there there's subtle, there's other differences within a category. So um, mm -hmm. I got called turf and sissy immediately by like a thousand kids. Like I, I, it just went super viral because TikTok is like that. And, 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 and that was most of the comments. I was just like, you could just scroll and just turf, 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 sissy, turf, sissy, sissy. sissy. I don't understand the sissy part. Like cisgender. Yeah. They'll call you like, sissy, which makes yeah. me think yeah, that it yeah, started yeah. at sissy and worked backwards to get sis, but uh -huh. um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah so they, that's, that's just an insult they use. And so I, I had like not really heard the word turf before mm -hmm. uh, or certainly had not been called it. Um, and so it, I was just like, and I was being called it because I said men and women had different heart attack symptoms. And that's actually really important for women to know, especially, um, yes. I mean, everyone should know what their heart attack symptom is that's based on their sex, but, yeah. um, yeah. So I was just like, this is really dangerous. And so I, I kind of made a, a video where, where I, I just like complained about that and, and, and gave like a. A little speech where I mentioned my my background and 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 the fact that that I used to identify as trans and now I don't anymore and um 
I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep saying true medical facts, even if people don't like it. Um, I, I had had a few thousand followers at that point for my linguistics videos. Um, and so that, um, got downloaded and put on, on Twitter and, and went around and, um, got a bunch of attention from the gender critical community and the D trans community, which I didn't know those existed. Mm. There was like already other people working on this, this project of, of addressing this, this problem, uh, of, of trying to erase the understanding that's very medically relevant, that men and women are different. Um, and so, yeah, so I just kind of started, uh, looking on TikTok, and it was kind of like an ethnography, uh, gold mine too, because all these people were putting up their own like here, here's the surgery and here's the aftermath. And so I started mm. also making videos both about the language aspect and then about why there's um, like why there's no singular day and, and why there's other people's needs and, and rights to consider when when talking about like changing what's expected as far as pronouns go and, and whether mm. it's reasonable to expect um, certain people to be able to memorize an infinite number of pronouns have no visual referent and are and are against the rules of their own language like mm -hmm. is that something we have a right to be expecting people to do mm -hmm. and also saying that like it's it's not always um like it, it may not always be a mental illness to identify this way or representative of that but where it's not that it's a religion uh and yeah and then eventually i made the leap to youtube and started making longer form content uh, I'm getting in touch with people. So I've, I've gone around to a few conferences in the last couple of years, that, and that's been really fun too. Um, I think uh, someone, uh, one of the editors of American Minds saw my video about gender atheism, how mm. I just don't believe in gender identity, uh, and asked me to write that as an article. Um, and so I got started getting articles published there, and um, it's, it's just been really, really nice to to be able to dust off the gender women studies degree and actually use it. Yeah. Uh, pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> cool. That's incredible. And your first channel got, of course, taken off, right? Yeah. My, the, the TikTok channel nearly got to 10,000 and then got banned. Uh, and that's happened a couple of times since to, um, YouTube. I got to about 15,000 and then got banned in the midst of, of a bunch of gender criticals trying to cancel me like brand name once. That are still that are still like generally respected. A lot of people don't know that they did this, uh, but it was it was a whole thing. Someone commissioned a rap about me. That was that was a yeah, a rap. Yeah, they like paid. It was like a well well produced rap. It's like excellent I... spreading bigotry and lies. Oh my god! Wow. I, you have to send me a link to that. Huh? Yeah. Okay. I will. Please I do. It was just. It was just. It's just funny. Um. But uh, yeah, it's 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 been a whole thing. I've I've of course had the had the uh, Jordan uh, Peterson situation where people have tried to like figure out where I work or or otherwise cause problems for me there. Um, uh, he's he if you're not familiar, he's he's dealing with some oh, yeah. internet complaints from from some foreign country. Yes, because they're mm -hmm. mad they're mad about how he talked in a podcast, and it's just it's yeah. about it's about chilling our, our 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 sense that we can just speak freely. Mm -hmm. um, when we're, you know, in different places. So it's like, even now I'm like, mm, I don't know how, how much to say about this. Just the thought of it. Scary. <laughs> so where do you see this all headed? Because it seems like we are kind of in the thick of it right now. Uh, I'm in the academic world. 
my area of research, I'm studying psychology uh, and I am a McNair scholar. I did a research uh, project this summer that I'm still working on, on sex dolls and on incels and how there is a a real crisis around the world of people that are, are not having relationships with each other, that they are pivoting to having relationships with avatars. They're pivoting to having relationships with dolls. Mm. And in my uh, symposium that I did, that I was a part of, someone in the audience who identifies as a, a trans woman asked me a question and said, why are you focused on cisgender men? Why is your study focused on cisgender men? Don't women buy sex dolls? And my response was women go to brunch. Mm. (laughs) Women have relationships with each other. And so the need for, they have a, a different emotional terrain that they navigate with each other where men tend to be more isolated So the percentage of women going out and purchasing a sex doll is almost nil compared to how many men are going out and purchasing them. Mm. So, of course, the reaction to my statement was that uh, this person requested that there be a trans sensitivity training that was done for McNair scholars because I I was um, focusing on men and men bad, women good. I don't really <laughs> understand the whole mindset behind that. I'm actually in a women's studies class right now uh, that is studying uh, pre, uh, pre-modern European women. It's called From Goddesses to Witches, and Ooh. I'm absolutely fascinated by this class. Uh, but I do see this like I am embedded right now in the thick of this gender ideology. Where do you see it headed? Like what, what is going to have to happen in order for people to shift away from this? What will there be another trend? Like, like what do you think it is? I I think that what's going to have to happen a couple things that well ultimately the the knowledge of the harms of these interventions needs to perfuse the culture people need to get have the same association with with these these interventions as they do with lobotomy yes. they need they need to hear hear um phalloplasty and think fistula and and that's that that might not happen for a while um they also need to know that what's being done to children uh because there's a lot of propaganda it, where you, you'll be talking to someone and they'll say, well, no, no children are getting surgeries. And then you can, you can list off several of like famous people who are like, well, this person is suing Kaiser because she, she had a mm-hmm. me at 13. Mm-hmm. So did that not happen? You think the whole thing is a lie? I feel like, I feel like they would have thrown the case out if she had like not had that happen. Uh, and then they will come back with some version of, of, well, it is happening, but it's good that it's happening in some way. So um, I think that, it's also need, going to need to be revealed how um, incompetent and exploitive and manipulative the doctors that are doing this are. So in a lot of my videos, I talk about how it's, it's you know, good doctors don't want to cut if there's not a reason to cut. Mm-hmm. They don't want to put somebody through something horrible. Um, if if there's, there's another way, like if they, 
and and that in my opinion, if you if you um, certain things wanting them should be a sign that you don't understand them well enough to to get them, to to consent to getting them. Um, you're you're not in a place where where you, you either are not informed or are not mentally well enough to to agree that that's a good idea. Um, you usually a combination. Um, and so I think the only way that's going to happen is with let, uh, uh, litigation, uh, having these doctors testify in depositions and, and sometimes in court where their lack of understanding um, can be revealed and or their, their, their um, lack of informing the patient of what they did understand can be shown. Uh, or or some other negative motivation. Like I have a video of uh, uh, Dr. Crane from from the, the Crane Center, which is mm -hmm. a, a transgender thing. It was, it was pinned on my my Twitter for a long time, um, where somebody asks, uh, "Will my breasts grow back?" And he, his initial answer is no. And then he says, "Well, the only time I've seen breasts grow back is if the patient gains thirty or forty pounds." So it's just like they know that they're manipulating kids and they also know that, that, that a lot of these kids actually have eating disorders and that's why they want to take a drug that changes their body fat distribution. That's the real reason. My, 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 uh, uh, one, one of the people in, in, in the orbit that that time had a known history of anorexia mm. like that she was open about. And so like there's a reason they want to remove fat all at once. They want to have these things removed. And it's not necessarily because they want to be a man, but they understand that's the means to the end. Um, there's the, the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia put out a, a uh, uh, if I'm not mistaken, but I, I called it the Chop Shop um, that mm -hmm. episode. So I think it was them. They also infamously uh, were were the one the people that treated uh, Casey Miller, who's a detransitioner that went kind of viral last fall mm -hmm. um, about the her hair and. But they they had a training video that featured a uh, a young man who was starving himself and fainting as a result, and it showed the um, hospital staff being like, "Oh, is 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 it? It's because you you want to be more feminine. That's why you you want to be thinner. That that makes sense." Um, and and then the, the focus shifts to how the mom is is bad for not affirming and not going along with with the gender procedures. So. You know, there's a lot of money to be made in this. Oh, my God, yes. Yeah, these clinics are popping up all over the United States. It's really insane. What I'm so curious about is the process, as we were discussing earlier, the process that you used to have to go through compared to what it is now. They're not showing any of these children a surgery. They're not telling them you will never have an orgasm. They're not t talking about bone loss and osteoporosis and the fact that, that it is so that I think if you show, if you said, okay, you want to have this surgery, great, but this is what you're going to have to do first. First, you're going to have to watch one of these surgeries and you're going to have to understand for the rest of your life, you were, you will be on pharmaceuticals first Secondly, you will you will have to have repeated surgeries over the course of your life. You don't get one set of breasts and then that's it. You're good. You're done. People that get breast implants have to have multiple surgeries throughout their lives because the breast implant leaks, because it uh, moves, it shifts. That There's all 
types of consequences to having these surgeries. So I think that is something that has to be, you know, when Chris and I were talking about this interview, he was saying, you know, I want to talk about the sociological aspect. I don't necessarily want to focus on the medical aspect. And I said, the medical aspect is the part that people need to hear. They need to see the surgery and the side effects of these surgeries, the infection, you know, they, they need to see someone that's had a, a penis formed out of their body that is not able to urinate properly. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that, that's, that's why I've, I've wanted to collect these stories and, and react to them and, and centralize them um, so that people could really see what, what you might be signing up for. If you agree to let a doctor take the skin of your arm and roll it up like a fruit roll up and, and stitch it together and then, and then stitch it to your, your crotch and, and try to pee through it and, and expect nothing bad to happen from, from that, that nonsense. Um, and you'll never have an erection. And you'll never have, have two a... options there. There's, there's, there's the, there's, there's the, 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 the water balloon version. Right. Uh, and then there's, With... there's the futon frame version where they actually like click it into place. <laughs> So romantic. I had a video where, where the girlfriend of, of the of the, the trans man is talking about it, and, and she she's like, "Well, it's you kind of like take this like towel, and it's like it goes up like, like like it's obvious that she's not that into it." Oh God! <laughs> it's a consolation prize. God. Oh my God! It's just horrifying. It is. Yeah, I can't imagine going through that whole process and coming to the realization that you made a huge mistake and there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. That's got to be a horrible, existentially horrifying place to be. Yeah. And, and, and we're talking about people who are already at risk of self-harm. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And we're going to put them in a position where, where they, they're going to need serious care forever, uh, where they started from when they were t like too young to really understand, like so young that we didn't, we didn't trust them to drive. We didn't, we certainly mm -hmm. didn't trust them to drink yeah. and, and, and we're going to set them up for this. You know, um, Jazz Jennings was, was only 17 when he had the vaginoplasty. Uh, and, and according to his mom, like, like she had to, to, to dog him in order to, to keep him dilating. Like that's just been a, yeah. really I mean, like my he wasn't God, even, that you know, mature, maybe we should have gotten, gotten him a puppy first to see if he was mature enough to take care <laughs> of a vaginoplasty. <laughs> Shit. My God. Excellent. Thank you so, so very much for taking the time to sit down and have a, a wonderful chat with us. Yeah. Thank you. I'm glad yes. that we, we were able to coordinate it. I had a great time. Yes. yes. Likewise. Uh, is there any place that you would like to steer the folks listening or watching to find you or your work? Uh, sure. Yeah. So, so I have a sub stack. It's just called Excellentic. Excellentic.substack.com. And um, okay. I also have a, uh, a couple archives because you never know who's going to start banning. Yes. Um, so my, my largest, most complete archive is uh, exoantic.com and that uh, points to my odyssey. Uh, I'm told that rumble is a little bit more reliable when it, when, when uh, playing videos, at least on some devices. So I also have a channel over there by the same name. Um, I, uh, the, the word exoantic comes from exoantis, which is from the dictionary of obscure sorrows, which is a, a book by John Koenig. Um, that's great. Uh, but, but, uh, so I don't think anyone before me was using it as an adjective. Mm -hmm. so, so the word excellent, some people are since then I've noticed, 
Um, but but generally that word will route to to me on on whatever platform. Cool. Um, well, we'll have all those links in the episode notes. Are you, are you working on anything? Are you? I heard you mention in one conversation something about a book. Yeah, I I am uh, slowly but surely since uh, last November or so um, working on a book that's going to kind of be a book version of the videos. So, cool. so um, I'm there. There will be um, summaries of the episodes that talk about like here's this person, here's how much it cost. Here are the, the complications they had. Here's how many surgeries they had. And here's where they are mm -hmm. now, like a summary. So like, if you don't want to watch an hour long episode of a bunch of TikToks, you can still get get the important information and just, you know, flip through and start seeing some patterns. Regret, yes, no, things like that. I like it. Because <laughs> the vast majority of them, you know, they, they don't regret it. It was the worst thing that they've they've ever done and it's ruined their life. Uh, but the only regret might be the surgeon at most. But otherwise, they don't regret it. It was, mm -hmm. it was a great choice, you good can, choice. Um, you can make and, trading cards. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> I might. I just might now. Like, like garbage pail kids. Oh, Ruffin. <laughs> or like Pokemon. Like we're... Yes. Oh. <laughs> Have a little stick of bubble gum in there. Or a little stick of uh what's the what's the um chemical crack castration neupron? Oh, <laughs> stick of neupron. Like, like the Pokeballs will be blurred. <laughs> <laughs> okay um, but yeah that and then the i am jazz it'll, it'll have a discussion of that and and i'm i'm debating lately including a, a section because i want to be an ethnographer or or, or have it mm. have this project be an ethnography of of the gender movement and part yeah. of that is also the people who are opposing it too a bunch sure. of whom i've met at this point had had interactions ranging from from extremely positive we're best friends forever and and to to that person is nuts. That person tried to ruin my life and I've literally never met them, but, but their brand name. Why? <laughs> and of course the rap. I'll have to, it'll be like a greeting card where you open it, but it plays the rap. It doesn't, it doesn't play. Yeah. The yes. Oh, I can't, I, I cannot wait. I cannot wait to listen to that. Is there a, a okay. video accompanying this? Um, well, it, it was, it was, uh, to uh, be included in a video but but the video that plays when when the song plays i think is just it's it's either he also commissioned a caricature of me um from from another person that's this that's like less well known but some people people who are already in the community sometimes know this person but but i i don't think mm -hmm. that they're otherwise well known um mm -hmm. and yeah it's uh for, for, for some reason they they decided to make me transracial for this uh, this caricature because uh, I I don't I don't know <laughs> I don't know why I, I for some reason this this artist in conjunction with the person that paid paid her thought hmm, how do we discredit her well let's put her on a trike uh, let's make her look really old and let's make her brown that'll 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 get people to stop listening to her what the fuck bizarre how odd yeah very bizarre okay. I love it. Um, well, uh, have a rest, uh, a fantastic rest of your evening, um, and I will let you know when this episode goes live, and you can spread it around wherever you see fit. Will do. Thank you so much. All right. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, great meeting you. It's an yeah. honor and a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much. <laughs> All right. Alrighty. Until next time. See you then. Bye. Farewell. Hello what are your thoughts? There. Well, hello, little Missy. I'm so happy that this finally happened. We had 
a couple uh, of clunky weeks where we weren't able to do it when we said we were going to do it. Mm -hmm. And I was really, really excited for this interview. And I'm so glad we were able to do it tonight. Me too. Definitely. Um, I've been, as I do, dipping into her videos uh, and interviews with her and stuff like that. And um, I was really excited because she... I mean, I think when, particularly when you're talking about this subject, which in many um, contexts is very, contexts, that's what I meant to say, is very charged for a lot of people. Um, so if you're going to speak about it, especially in a critical manner, it really helps to be highly articulate, which she is definitely highly articulate and knows her shit in so many different ways as far as... Um, all of the complications that can happen medically, uh, psychologically, um, just so many different uh, contextual things in this milieu that are important to really construct a full picture of this whole deal. Because it is very complex and it's easy to just kind of look at it in a couple of ways and pick out a couple of items and go, yeah, I have a problem with that and that. But when really, when you see all of them together, um, there's so much more to it than I even thought of. And I've done a lot of thinking about this subject. So I was, you know, her viewpoint is definitely welcome and needed. I, I think that the aspect of um, being on the spectrum and autism and that uh, being a potential correlate is really an interesting dynamic of this and you know the fact that young women primarily have been misdiagnosed uh, when it comes to being on the autistic spectrum that I think it's important to understand that you know part of the octopus of this this agenda is uh, the medicalization of um, psychopathologies and the medicalization of um, certain mental health issues that people have or could potentially have that have gone undiagnosed or misdiagnosed. So I think that that is a really interesting um, dynamic here is that she she is very forthcoming about discussing her own uh, diagnosis and her own issues that she has experienced. But, uh, you know, these these through lines of these all of these issues are so fascinating to me like the cosplay anime like you could almost do like a trans timeline and and you could kind of tick like lines along that timeline of when one thing is going to happen that then it's going to lead to this other thing mm -hmm. uh and so to to hear her journey and kind of see that that she has some of those ticks on that line or it's fascinating to me. Yeah, and what I was saying earlier about uh, these were pioneers, uh, her friends that we were talking about. I met in the particular context that they were in. Uh, sure, this has happened for decades, I'm sure centuries, but I'm talking about in a more of a surgical. Um, surgical context 
and it, it seems like at least in the 70s and 80s when I was growing up, you would see these news stories or documentaries or whatever about a man who would get a sex change operation. But he was usually like in his 40s or, mm-hmm. you know, not, not hardly any young people whatsoever, um, to my knowledge, at least. Uh, but it wasn't until the 2000s, to my knowledge, more like the 2015, something like that. Uh, where it really became prevalent, probably maybe even a little later than that, really became prevalent uh, to that this would happen uh, younger and younger to children, but uh, at the very least, uh, college-age kids, uh, which is what she said it, this happened at the UC Berkeley, right? In 2009. 2009. Um, so what I mean is that that wasn't a thing uh, so much then. Not that it didn't happen at all, but it wasn't like a movement like it is now. I think what was going on, and we've, you and I have talked about this a lot. We've talked with other guests about this, that in the era that you and I grew up in, uh, there was still, you know, especially in the Midwest, there were gay people that were extremely closeted uh, amongst like, adults and there were gay kids that were closeted but there weren't uh children who were necessarily trans identifying at that period you had girls that dressed like boys that were called tomboys you had boys that were effeminate that were called were you know you know, they were teased and, and disparaging terms were sissy, used for them. Fa- faggot, yeah. sissy, queer, you know, all of these terms were used. But these boys weren't dressing like girls and identifying as girls. Exactly. So and, and in that era, it was, oh, you're gay or you're a tomboy uh, as a girl. And then... In kind of the mid 80s, it really became about this kind of the gender fluidity that was happening was girls wearing men's clothes that they got at the the flea market or they got at, you know, the secondhand store and boys started to wear skirts and eye makeup. And and so there was there were gender fluid behaviors, but no one was saying no, I'm really a woman. Mm-hmm. Like they weren't really ident- like cross identifying. So I think that th- there was a trend that was happening in that period, but it wasn't being um, calcified in the medical community. Definitely not in the medical community for sure. Um, yeah. And there was a lot, you know, glam metal or not glam metal, but glam rock in the seventies. Like it was New York dolls. Like they're just, I was, I mean, women thought that they were very, very sexy. These guys who would wear platform shoes and makeup and women's clothes and tiaras and, and scarves and stuff like that. But they didn't call themselves women. Like they were just playing around. They were just being gender non-conforming or whatever the terminology would be. So there was a leap where all of a sudden, and then maybe, I I don't know, a cynical part of me wants to say that it's the symptom of a culture that is running out of real, or at least an aspect of it is running out of real 
things to to worry about. Like we're not a war torn country. We, you know, we're probably in many ways the most wealthy nation, uh, you know, uh, currently. Uh, so it seems like when you run out of real things to be concerned about, you can sit around and luxuriously daydream about, you know, I don't really feel like the gender that I was born with. Like, you know, that just, that's just not a, do you, do you understand what I'm saying? I think the, the part of the octopus, the tentacles of the octopus is social media because the, where the shift has happened is we have more access to each other around the world than we ever have. So if you're not getting attention at your high school, if you're not getting attention from your parents, if you go on social media and you see someone getting attention for a specific behavior, you may want to emulate that behavior because not necessarily because you align yourself with that behavior, but you align yourself for the need for that attention. And so I think that 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 is from a foundational perspective, that's where all this started. I think had we had social media in the eighties when we were growing up, there may have been more of a phenomenon of this because we would have been seeing people like, People dressed up like David Bowie, people dressed up like New York Dolls. They, you know, there was Tim Curry in Rocky Horror Picture Show. So there was the transvestite um, aspect of, of fashion and of art. And that was happening. But I think it, it was it was so much more limited in the access that we had. So we, we weren't looking at someone that was doing this, you know, across the pond and going, Oh, well I need to do exactly what that person's doing because we just didn't have the same degree of connection. So I think that had a a big, that has plays a big part in it. Connection in combination with uh, hyper fragmentation. It seems like, the more that we became steeped in the internet in a forum where we could all exchange ideas, you know, some people use that to unite and meet people and then take it into the real world and do things, whatever, various things. But many people use that to uh, really firmly lodge themselves inside of echo chambers. Um, so I think that's when a lot of fragmentation started happening. And this seems to be a symptom of a combination of lots of things, high fragmentation, um, the sort of the social acceptance of mental illness in any form whatsoever, for the most part, uh, except maybe being a serial killer, um, well, that's socially acceptable too. <laughs> well, it's, they're kind of mythic heroes, uh, yeah. the anti-hero, um, and, uh, you know, uh, also you have a lot of disenfranchised, uh, kids who, uh, have parents who are caught up in stupid bullshit and don't have time to pay attention to them or talk to them or have any kind of meaningful interaction with them. So they're just kind of free floating and they're depressed and maybe they're on pharmaceuticals because of 
ADHD or whatever the fuck. Right. And then, so it's this combination, this soup of all these different things that just kind of, you know, left, leaves these people feeling sort of anchorless. So right. they, they have no grounding. But we had all of that. We had that exact same formula, that exact same formula uh, happened at the in the generation before us, the, in the generation before uh, that generation. So we had, you know, the rebel without a cause with uh, James Dean, and he was the disenfranchised kid. And then we had the '70s rebellion that was happening. Then we had the '80s rebellion. The difference is, so like you know, when people when Madonna came out, suddenly you have ten year olds wearing bras and you know, I make up because of, so, so the, the, what we have called culture has been a, a form of mesmerism or hypnotism. And again, it's to see how many people adopt this specific style of dress. Okay. Cause we're going to sell records. We're going to sell lace and whatever the fuck else we're selling lace gloves or whatever, or hairspray. And so we, we, throw these things out and see how much of that sticks. I think the difference is that, yeah, people were getting boob jobs to look like Pamela Anderson in the nineties, but boob jobs were expensive and you had to get, you know, and they weren't covered by insurance. And so when the DSM five came around and it changed the criteria for gender dysphoria and now you can code for that for insurance i think that was a huge shift that too i i think that all of these things are interrelated so we can't just point to one aspect yeah but the thing that was lacking in all those previous decades that you were talking about is hyper fragmentation which is what we have now i mean there was maybe minor fragmentation going on but maybe men and women and you know black and white to some extent, but this, the hyper fragmentation I'm talking about is, you know, subdividing to, to an insane nth degree, you know, like there's so many different subdivisions and categories and subcultures and like more than ever before. So I think it makes it easier to cling to one group, point to all the other ones as the outliers or as the bad guys or whatever the fuck, the oppressors or whatever. So with that, without that cohesive social glue, like that just leaves a lot of free floating sponges for whatever the fuck comes along. If they have no grounding or self-reflection or anything more to grasp on. I think the fragmentation's always been there. You've always had the outlier. You've always had the freak you've always had the nerd you've always had the uh preppy you've always had these categories you've always had the separation and the bifurcation from uh, adults and kids and adults aren't cool and kids are cool but they're awkward there's that has always i mean historically we've always had this type of a a push and pull again you add these other elements into it. You add the mind control element of social media. You add the device into it. You have, you know, these other th- the technology uh, that's come in to these things. I think that those are the things that have made this stuff different because 
people have always said my parents didn't understand me my parents don't talk to me that you know there's always been drug addiction there's always been alcoholism so none of these aspects are new i think the difference is now we're looking for attention on this device and so the way we fragment ourselves is to uh, attempt to get more attention from these other sources. True. Yeah, I'm just going to keep repeating myself. Hyper, hyper yeah, fragmentation. I get, yeah, I think there's always been hyper fragmentation. I don't think so. I, I think really there's think more so. people on the earth now. I think that, that we have more of a way to feel um, isolated than we ever have. But- just think about it. If you want to talk about media, and I want to bring this to a close first because, or soon because the kids are home, but uh, when you think, if you're talking about media and social engineering, what were there, fucking five TV channels? And all the music that you had besides going to a record store was all the stuff that was on the radio. Now you have an endless amount of mm-hmm. things to watch. Uh, things to listen to like there's just so much more there's so many places so many more tributaries in the labyrinth where people can get lost in than there ever were before i believe that's what i believe i believe that plays a big role in all of this and not to mention now that uh, i think because of all of these different um, forms of media in all of its different manifestations uh, they've gotten a lot better at utilizing that in Mm -hmm. a controlling way so it's much more manipulative than it was when i was watching sitcoms at night with my parents on a tuesday you know like i didn't feel manipulated then like it it didn't feel like an onslaught of some propaganda that they're but you know i was young i wasn't i had a different mindset than i do now yeah that's true I mean, we could go on all night. We could go so on all night. To, yeah, we this have is to a, call it at some point. This is an we ongoing. Could, we could keep going. Conversation. Yeah, lifetime conversation on lifetime. On lifetime. <laughs> okay. Uh, thank you all so much for listening. Hopefully, you enjoyed this as much as we did and got something positive. And hopefully, you go check out Exalensics uh, content. She's got great stuff, yeah, and it's cool. hilarious too. She's cool. Yes, yeah. very I li- cool. I liked her a lot. I really enjoyed her company. For sure. Yeah. Definitely. We have to have her on again. We do. She's definitely someone that I feel like if we lived in the same town, we would be friends and we could hang out with. Frenzies. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> if you want to contact us, the Melt Podcast at protonmail.com or hunter-muse at protonmail.com. And you can always go to themeltpodcast.net and you can find every little single thing you want to find out about where we're at on the interwebs and uh, you can get all of our all of our episodes there. So thank you all so much for listening. Much love and until next time. Spreading so much hate, you don't know the effects. Love the bully woman, what you gonna do next? Spreading all the hate, you don't know the effects. Love the bully women, what you gonna do next? Exulancic just lost the training wheels. Exulancic, you're confused. Stop your misleading articles. You're the biggest troll on YouTube.
Excellence, sick, spreading bigotry and lies Thinking that you now sell confusion to get likes Victimizing women who have intersex conditions Name drop science terms misleading information Excellence, sick, spreading bigotry and lies Thinking that you now sell confusion to get likes Victimizing women who have intersex conditions Name drop science terms misleading information Straight up, don't care who you hurt Bully women, you're confused Lying on the tube all because of some views Thinking that you smooth, oh no, you ain't smooth Thinking that you cool, oh no, you deceive and confuse Is the tactic that you use Spreading fake news just to fool your own views Trolling on the tube is the way that you choose to use and abuse all your power was to use name dropping terms you don't even understand thinking that is knowledge you just spreading garbage claiming that you're righteous victimizing people damn think you spreading knowledge boy you spreading garbage spreading so much hate you don't know the effects love the bully women what you gonna do next you spreading so much hate you don't know the effects love the bully women what you gonna do next exolancic just lost the training wheels exolancic you're confused stop with distorted articles you're the biggest troll on youtube Exolance sick, spreading bigotry and lies Thinking that you now sell confusion to get likes Victimizing women who have intersex conditions Name drop science terms, distorted information Exolance sick, spreading bigotry and lies Thinking that you now sell confusion to get likes Victimizing women who have chromosome conditions Name drop science terms, distorted information Straight up, don't care who you heard, boo women you confused lying all the tube all because of some views thinking that you smooth oh no you ain't smooth thinking that you cool oh no distorted articles is the way that you choose to spread whack views every day on youtube lies and deceit but you claim that it's true picking on those less powerful than you cast a semen yeah all those that you knew were just defenseless Victims of you abuse Name dropping terms you don't even understand Claiming that you're righteous Victimizing people, damn Think you're spreading knowledge Nah, you're spreading garbage Think you're spreading knowledge Nah, you're spreading garbage Spreading so much hate You don't know the effects Love the bully women What you gonna do next?